I'm Daniel Gowerluck, and this is On Earth. On Earth is brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on Earth, we're talking to Daniel Adria. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Now, you're a civil engineer, right? Yep. Uh, Broadly speaking, that's what I'd call myself. Um, And then if I were to get a little more nuanced, I would say I work in uh, geohazards and flood risk modeling and and estimates. So civil engineering is very broad, um, but I mostly work with infrastructures, infrastructure uh, and how they interact with floods. Okay. And uh, what aspect of that do you do? Yeah, so if we, you know, society has has some infrastructure, you know, we we want it to prevent, you know, certain um, negative effects or, or events. Um, so uh, with the recent events in November in British Columbia, there's uh, some good examples there of, say, for example, if a berm in the United States breaches... And where is that water going to go? Is it going to reach Abbotsford? How deep is it going to get? When is it going to get there? Determining that kind of information or perhaps uh, the rate of erosion, how much might, you know, debris or destruction, this depth and velocity from these flood events uh, with infrastructure failures, uh, how do they might occur? Okay, that's very uh, topical for this um, for right now. Um, do you focus on one particular area or just uh, floods in general? Floods, a, a bit of both, um, but mostly larger infrastructure like dams and um, what's called a tailings dam or, or a mine waste dump, uh, which is just uh, leftover uh, sand, soil, some chemical components from mine processing. Um, so those can fail like a dam, but then the actual fluid characteristics are a little bit different than than water, and it makes it a little bit extra challenging and spicy, you could say. Uh, what different character- characteristics do they have? So I'll, I'll use food as an analogy because that's pretty understandable for most people. But if you're to take uh, yogurt and it's been sitting in the fridge for a while, you could take a spoonful out and it would keep the, that remaining sort of void in the yogurt. Uh, and it sort of stay still. But if you're to then sort of stir it up and shake it a, a bit and then do that same motion, it won't be able to hold that shape anymore. It might sort of level out a little bit. Um, so just the the inconsistent behavior, uh, you know, water is very complicated, but it doesn't, you know, it always levels itself out. Whereas this, you know, tailings and same with a flood event that has a lot of erosion or debris, like, you know, a, a flood, is it still just water if it includes trees, rocks, cars, buildings, uh, elements like that? It sort of becomes harder to uh, predict. And there's not a lot of uh, observed or measured behaviors because when these events happening are happening, you know, usually you don't want to be around with, you know, taking, you know, sticking your, your measuring stick in there. You want to sort of be getting out of the way. So it's very challenging. That's a great way of explaining it, uh, the yogurt analogy. (laughs) 
Um, now, at what stage are you in your career? I'm currently doing my master's degree in geological engineering um, here at UBC, but I did a, a couple uh, years in industry doing similar similar work. Um, so starting to go down the very technical uh, and specific path, but you know, still start starting that journey, not not uh, super deep in just yet. Uh, did you study this in school, or what did you study? So I my deg- my bachelor's degree was in civil engineering. Um, so at UBC, it's qu- quite uh, general, uh, and I finished that in 2018. Uh, and then, like I said, I, I did a couple of years um, in industry, and that's where I learned most of, of of what I do now. It wasn't. It's not. It's since it's nuanced and, and complicated. It's not covered in the undergrad degree. Um, so yeah, I think I learned more in the first six months out of school than in the five years in school. <laughs> that's um, that's interesting. It's always good to know that you can learn in many different ways, um, and that you can keep learning even once you're out of school. Uh, why civil engineering? What was it that drew you to the field? When people typically think of civil engineers, I think they think of buildings because uh, that's just kind of the easiest. And that's sort of what I um, w- wanted to do when I started uh, at university. And then I took my first structural engineering course and did not like it whatsoever. And at the same time, uh, I was taking a uh, hydraulics course or uh, just water uh, flow, uh, fluid dynamics, I guess. And I really liked that. So I just started to you know try to choose that a little bit and then again when i started work i you know started out general but mentioned i I like you know water engineering that the water engineering element of civil engineering and then you know as as a as a new grad you know you get the the you know the uh the uh what's a good word not boring, but uh, onerous tasks. Maybe um, the company I was working for was doing one of these studies of where would a dam, where would the water flow go during a dam breach. Uh, but unfortunately, the city below it didn't have its census or lot information digitized, so they needed somebody to drop eighty thousand pins on Google Earth, counting all the houses uh, that could be impacted by by this event. Uh, so that's what I did for about a week. Uh, <laughs> It was. Um, you dropped eighty thousand pins in one week. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So my supervisor, I think, felt a little bit bad for assigning me that job. And then the next project, you know, would you actually like to get involved with the the interesting analysis part? And so then, just little by little, I got more and more involved with that. So. Great. Which city was that? Uh, I I don't think I can <laughs> say. Oh no worries. <laughs> uh, so, what are you working on right now? What's your thesis about? So, like I mentioned, some of these events are, are really hard to, you know, measure and obver- observe the characteristics. Um, and so a lot of the time, anything that gets reported, uh, you know, is is maybe inconsistently defined or, or, or not quite right or, or just incorrectly stated and then gets repeated ad, ad nauseum. Um, so that makes it really challenging to, okay, we're going to look at a, uh, a dam and uh, and we want to, you know, make a realistic estimate of what could possibly happen. But if you look at what's previously happened, and it's all 
inconsistent or incorrect or, or whatever, it's not much use. So I've been trying to go through these events, mostly tailings dam breach events. Um, and if there's multiple estimates of a particular element, try to verify, you know, does it match up with photos or other ways to interpret it? Uh, and then also putting it into a, a numerical model. Um, so if you imagine sort of those fluid animations from the 90s, uh, sort of the, uh, you know, sort of coarse looking and, and not very like realistic looking, it's sort of that level, but obviously much more attention is paid on getting the physics correct as opposed to making it look nice for a movie. Um, so generating those models and that allows us to get even more information, especially about those parameters that are hard to measure, like the yogurt behavior phenomenon. You're basically um, preventing an academic r rumor mill where something erroneous gets repeated over and over again. Y yeah, that's pretty much it. Like 50% of my time has been looking, hmm, this, this number isn't right. Why is it in all the journals? Uh, so yeah, it's a little frustrating, but hopefully pretty, pretty useful and, and enlightening. No, oh, that's great. You're making academia stronger. <laughs> now, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this series has been hearing about, about people's field stories. Uh, you mentioned that it is hard to do field work in your experience or in your field. Uh, but do you ever get into the field? Specifically for work, unfortunately, no, um, because a lot of these events are across the world and obviously, you know, somewhat in the past. Um, I have to rely on what has been recorded through photos or reports or journals or even tweets sometimes. Um, and then obviously the numerical modeling is completely software based. So it's uh, mostly just work in, in an office type setting. But when I do get to go out hiking for, you know, you know, recreational reasons, whenever I pass a river uh, or, or maybe like, oh, I can, I can, I think that that used to be a landslide there. I, you can sort of see similar characteristics, you know, water, flows, landslides, even like little mini avalanches when you go skiing. I, I try to try to look for those things and maybe like helps me calibrate my model a little bit and recognize which phenomena occur in nature as well. When you love your job, uh, there's some overlap between your personal life and your professional life, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Whenever we go hiking, my girlfriend always is like taking pictures of the, you know, the wonderful views of all the mountains and I'm standing looking at the creek looking down at the dirt. <laughs> so I'm curious, um, you've already touched on this, but why is your work so important? When these events do happen, if they're well studied beforehand, it helps um, mitigate some of the damage. If the the police and the firefighters and, and, and medical staff are, are sort of told beforehand, hey, you know, this hospital might not have power or not be able to reach this bridge might be out these people are most vulnerable they can react better and mitigate the damage if this has been estimated beforehand before it's before it's happened um so that can be very critical um there was this one event in brazil uh in 2019 uh the facial event and after the fact they um some some academia estimated that if they had gotten 10 minutes warning they could have like halved the uh, the fatality rate. So, you know, that's where uh, this is important. And then the other element is that 
whether it's a dam, whether it's a mine, there are costs and benefits to installing uh, these, you know, projects or infrastructure. Um, and although it rarely happens, a catastrophic failure has a huge cost. So when you, and this is obviously part of a broader, you know, group of regulators, the public, social sciences, engineers to sort of make this overall risk decision. But if you don't know the consequences that well, how can you make a good judgment call of this is worth it or this is not worth it? So those are the two main reasons. Wow, that's really big. Uh, 10 minutes is not a lot of time, but it would have had a huge impact. Uh, I was going to ask, how often do these dams fail? Uh, Interestingly enough, um, some colleagues at uh, Waterloo are working on on that um, question right now. Uh, And and it's uh, they actually just have a a, a journal paper coming out soon, so I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Um, I, I guess maybe it's less often than people think, but more often than we'd like, obviously. Um, you know, you, you hear about it in, in the news, uh, you know, this uh, particularly big event. Um, but when you start counting up, there's a lot of dams across the world um, that are doing fine. I was going to say, I, I would assume that they usually fail in remote, remote areas where we don't notice. So I, I would think that we'd don't hear about them as, as often as they happen. It, it it really depends. It's funny isn't quite the right word, but interesting what gets sensationalized and what doesn't. Um, but as an engineer, this is where my domain of experience ends, and I'll let some other social science, scientists look at that question. Now, your work is really important. Uh, you seem really passionate about it, uh, but what's the best part of it? What do you enjoy the most? Honestly, the people that I work with mostly, so that's not super relevant to exactly what I do, but I, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that uh, great, great supervisor, uh, Scott McDougall here at UBC, uh, great team that I get to work with, uh, you know, the, the other graduate students uh, at UBC and also in a few different uh, other universities as well. And I was also incredibly fortunate to have a uh, an excellent mentor uh, when I worked in industry as well. Great. Yeah, I think we've got some of the best grad students here uh, on campus. <laughs> now, of course, not everything is sunshine and roses. Uh, what's the worst or the most challenging part of your work? Um, I very much like the the doing aspect of the modeling and, and researching this stuff. I'm not so much of a fan of the, the writing of, of the work. Um, but specific to what I do, when you're trying to tease out, you know, important aspects of when did it arrive 10 kilometers away from where the, the breach initially occurred, you, you know, you're looking for a specific time or, or like a relative time. Uh, so sort of just like a very impersonal sort of information. But to get that, you're sort of reading of like, these personal accounts of like, oh, I was just going to uh, close the store for the day when the store got destroyed by this flood wave, essentially. And it's these horrific uh, sort of human stories that you just have to go through of these events to try to pick out, you know, sort of the technical details. So that that can get pretty rough sometimes after, you know, uh, a few of those stories in a row. It's a really interesting cross-section between the um, 
the very, very dry data-driven science uh, that you're doing a lot of, but also this human aspect too. Uh, it's a great way to put a human face on the work that you're doing. Yeah, like I, I think it's very important to always keep in mind for any engineering um, or, or science work, I guess. Um, what 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 is the actual impact later on or or consequence uh, in relation to humans and the environment? Um, so yeah, I I think it, it's never good to forget about that, but also it sometimes it's nice to just put it in a box and not worry about it while you run your models kind of. Absolutely. It's nice to have the variation, I'm, I'm sure. Now I'm curious, um, do you identify as belonging to any underrepresented communities? And if so, has that impacted your career in any way? I do not, I, I do not identify as any minority uh, group. No worries. Uh, do you feel like uh, civil engineering is welcoming to uh, outsiders or is it more insular and um, looks after their own? My experience has been very, very positive. Like I said, I was, I've been fortunate in joining a, a incredibly welcoming and friendly company and then with my degree as well. Um, and I think on the whole, it, it's, it's good, but obviously mileage may vary. Um, historically, civil engineering is not the most diverse uh, in, in some and many ways. So uh, hopefully it continues to change for the better. And I, and I think it is, but. Well, yeah, you mentioned before that your colleagues are one of the best parts of your work. So it's good that it has a good sense of community. Uh, sometimes insular isn't a bad thing. It means that once you're in, you're family. <laughs> uh, you mentioned your colleagues um, across the country. Um, I'm sure you've been working with them more because uh, remote work has become more common. Uh, has COVID impacted your work in any way? Thankfully, not at all. Um, just the because the basis is computer based, I can do it anywhere. Um, but also, I was able to uh, sort of after the first wave, I guess I, I ended up moving into a, a larger house with a group of friends and family. Um, so we were able to have one office space that was separate from everything else. So it's not like I was working out of a closet. And then also you get a bit of that extra social aspect that I think, um, you know, a lot of people weren't getting uh, when, you know, their field work was cut uh, or, or you know, living by themselves or, or an aspect like that. So I, again, I think I've, I've been very fortunate in that COVID has had a somewhat limited impact or comparatively limited, I guess. So thankful for that. I'm always amazed how um, so many of our scientists can do all their work remotely. Um, and with computers being so much more powerful than uh, I imagine, uh, you can do so much work uh, virtually. And it's great that you avoided some of the uh, social isolation that occurred during COVID. Now, you've painted a really interesting picture of civil engineering. Uh, what background would you recommend anyone who wants to follow in your footsteps uh, pursue? Uh, any courses or experiences? Uh, there are many, many ways to go into civil engineering. Um, and there, there's many different aspects. And it's the broadest engineering for, or one of the broadest forms of engineering for a reason. So my experience getting to where I am of 
debris flows and and mudslides and, and tailings dam failures started from being mostly interested in water. Um, but my other colleagues sort of got there from starting with geotech, Nicole. So looking at soils and foundations, and then they slowly got to the same place. Um, so there are many different courses or or software or or backgrounds or seemingly unrelated skills that end up being super important. Um, so basically just anything partially related, I would suggest to, to civil engineering or, or geological engineering, do that as best as you can. And then also try to get a, a very broad experience. Like I actively try to avoid programming and coding things. Um, and civil engineers generally don't do much of that, but with the modeling I'm doing now, it actually came in useful. Um, or, or I, I rather had to, to, to come up with a code to run my model hundreds or thousands of times to get some of the answers I wanted. Um, so I'm sure if I paid more attention to my first year coding class in, in my undergrad, I might've, you know, been able to shave a few, few weeks off that process. So it's all useful. I'm a bit of an idiot uh, myself, so coding is always a, a nightmare. Now, you've uh, been very inspiring today. I'm curious, who inspired you while you were doing your studies? You mentioned you had a, a mentor in industry. Yeah, so that that's, um, uh, I guess I'll, I'll drop her name, Violetta Martin. Uh, she is one uh, a leading expert in this dam breach field uh, internationally, so you know, great, great to learn from her breadth of knowledge there, but also just one of the, the kindest um, mentors I've had to just, you know, discuss um, a technical problem, you know, drop everything to help, um, very understanding and very, like, she was, she also taught at UBC for a while, so she was a great teacher that way, um, and just you know, the sort of inquisitive, um, sort of, you know, trying, trying to, you know, trying to do something better and, and find out how to do it better. Um, so that, uh, that's been, been very helpful for me. You mentioned the, uh, the dam breach field, uh, who pays for this research? Is it mining companies or government or both? Specifically for my research, it is a mix of mining companies, the federal government, um, as well as some professional, uh, like engineering consultants as well, um, who, who would also do similar level of work. Um, and so, yeah, the mining companies obviously have a, a great interest because they're trying to limit their legal liability as well as also do the right thing, uh, in, in many cases, um, the government also, because they don't, you know, these are, these are horrible, uh, events, um, and then obviously, uh, I'm not doing this as part of my research, but um, just hydroelectric um, dams and, and, you know, those are sometimes a mix of government and privately owned. Um, so obviously they're interested in, in similar things. So it, yeah, mix of sources, but sort of larger agencies generally. It's always cheaper to prevent a disaster than to clean up from one. So it makes sense that all those parties would be involved. 
Now, you're at the beginning of your career. I'm curious, what would you like to be your legacy, your professional legacy, uh, when you retire? As I've been going through um, all this, uh, I'll just use the short term of misinformation about this technical stuff, um, but just like whether it's accidental or or just poorly defined, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm highly cognizant of like, well, as I compile, the, you know, these 15 to 20 different cases that I'm looking at and try to correct them. I'm sure I'll also make similar, either poorly defined or, or, you know, some mistakes that way. So hopefully uh, my legacy of technical stuff is not, is, is of mostly better improvements to some of the the reporting. Um, But uh, I, I'm aware that I may have interpreted some things here and there and along the way. Um, But my main, um, uh, sort of legacy. Um, hopefully, like, like I said, I, I learned more after school than I did during it. So hopefully, I, I've been really, I've been doing mentoring uh, with some undergrads. Been trying to share all the experience and knowledge I've learned, um, you know, with with a few different students. Whether it's been um, sort of undergrad TAs that I've worked with, uh, and just trying to like, um, yeah. Do, do tons of mentoring. And so I hope that's my legacy because I, I think that's far more important um, for you know people as well as just the element that if you do something well, that's just you doing something well. If you teach three people to do something well, that's a far greater impact than just yourself. That's a very mature response. I've noticed that when I talk to people who are uh, at the end of their careers, uh, they often say that it's the people uh, who they've inspired that they want to be their their legacy, uh, rather than any tangible contribution to industry. Um, so yeah, that puts you in good company, I think. <laughs> now, my final question today, uh, I noticed that every field is moving at lightning speed and changing uh, very, very quickly. Uh, the field that a person enters at the beginning of their career can be unrecognizable by the time that they retire. Uh, so where do you see civil engineering going in the future? And what advice do you have for young people to anticipate some of these changes? For civil engineering broadly, um, especially how, with maybe climate change and sort of um, a greater understanding that infrastructure doesn't exist in a vacuum. There's uh, other constraints like, you know, social constraints. Um, I sort of see probably civil engineering uh, and civil engineers have to work more with a broader set of people than, than they have been in the past Um, uh, to, you know, in the end to try to make a better product um, for, for, for society. For my field specifically of, um, Sort of the flood and and debris flow modeling uh, or geohazards. Um, again, with with, with the climate change, uh, you know, being an issue, and also just uh, risk tolerances. Um, you know, we're just generally more intolerant to risk. There's going to be more and more jobs for us, uh, more and more work, um, more and more diverse. Uh, uh, you know catastrophic events to look at, uh, cascading catastrophic events. What happens when a flood uh, knocks out a hospital, for example? Um, So those are some pretty big challenges. And considering that, you know, estimating floods alone without that hospital 
scenario is difficult enough, um, that's going to be quite a challenge. So looking at those cascade things and, and just way more uh, things to look at. You've talked about this um, earlier, about how you're not just doing the data modeling, but you're also looking at the societal impacts of whatever's happening. Uh, do civil engineers as a whole, uh, are they usually this interdisciplinary? interdisciplinary? Uh, probably highly variable. Um, I, <laughs> again, uh, I think I've been fortunate that the ones that I've interacted with are um, but it obviously, I, I'm sure, depends on the on the subfield of civil engineering and the particular engineer in in question, um, and, and the seniority and all that stuff uh, of that engineer and what they're doing. Um, but you know, hopefully, as a whole, it's it it is tending to be more cognizant of of many of these elements, the human element. It feels like you have a foot in two fields, uh, both sciences and social sciences. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully both are solidly in civil engineering, but sort of looking over the fence. Well, Daniel, those are all the questions I have for you for today. Uh, is there anything I missed or anything you want to add before I let you go? Nope, just like to thank you for having me here. Thank you for opening my eyes to civil engineering. Thanks for listening to Honor. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself, Kirsten Hodge, our editor Mel Woods, and Ollie Beebe designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Canadian Geological Foundation. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash podcast, or listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week here on Earth.